an old man is laying in a bed. He's not really all that old, he's in his late 70s, but he would like nothing more than to not be stuck in his bed, weak and slowly dying, trapped in his own thoughts, knowing his time is near and drawing closer every minute. This man is extremely wealthy. He has very few friends, many posers. His whole life has been that of being the weird outcast. From the beginning until now, he has lived his life to prove himself worthy, to silence the naysayers, and to gloat in his superiority when others scoffed at his insignificance. Thinking to himself on what to do with his riches, this old man immediately thinks to create a giant statue of himself. But then is reminded of a man whose ideas have shaped his beliefs, Thomas Paine. You could say he, this old man had a bracelet on his wrist that had the letters WWPD. What would Paine do? Well... What would the great Thomas Paine do with all this wealth he has knowing that the Grim Reaper has his name on a list? With that, this old man began to think. In this episode of Ricky's Historical Tidbits, I will share with you the story of James Lick. So sit back, hit that like button, get, and get ready to learn some cool history because... This is Ricky's Historical Tidbits Podcast, and this is Ricky Mortensen. So let's go back in time to lay the groundwork, shall we? Way back in the day, there was a man named William Luke who came to America and fought in the Revolution under George Washington. He had a son named John, and he had a son named James. This was in the Pennsylvania area, by the way. They changed their last name from Luke to Lick at that point. John was a carpenter who raised his son James to follow in his footsteps, and after he was sufficiently educated at 13 years old, he was put into an apprenticeship where he learned carpentry and cabinetry. His father was strict and harsh, but James became extremely skilled at his work. Soon, when he was 21 years old, he caught the eye of a young lady named Barbara. He loved her, and as things go, she got knocked up. James went to her dad, who owned a big fancy mill, and asked for her hand in marriage. And maybe he didn't mention that she was pregnant, or her dad just didn't care. But her dad replied by putting him down, asking if he had any money or had any business, and then told James that he could marry her when he has a big fancy mill like his. James turned around, yelled back at him, Someday I will own a mill that will make yours look like a pigsty. James left town for Baltimore at that point, uh, where he learned to make pianos. Soon he moved to New York, where he opened up his own shop, and that's when he noticed after a few years that the majority of his pianos were being shipped down to Argentina. So when he was 25 years old in 1821, he moved to Argentina. But Argentina was not all that grand. Uh, the country at the time was full of violence and all kinds of death. He felt like death most of the time from all the different diseases and viruses that he hadn't been exposed to before as well. And after a few years, he just couldn't take it anymore. He wrote back home this. One minute in the clouds of heaven, and the next in the depths of the sea. 
and death always before my eyes in ten thousand forms. This is far from peaceful living. I would not wish it on my worst enemy. Eventually, he got sick and tired of it and left Argentina, selling his company and taking a year vacation to tour Europe. On his way back, the ship was overtaken by some Portuguese pirates, where he was taken prisoner to Montevideo, Uruguay. Somehow, he was able to escape, and he made it to Buenos Aires by foot, which was 150 miles. From there, he needed to find a job to get back to the United States, so he started working in the fur trade. He did pretty darn good by that, too, saving up $40,000, which got him a ticket back home to Pennsylvania. His plan was to meet up with his long-lost baby mama, but when she heard that he was coming to town, she, her husband, and her son left town. Hurt by all this, he went back to Buenos Aires for a little while, and then to Chile, and then to Peru, where he went back to making pianos. He had quite a bit of employees working for him as well, which made him a pretty well-off man. His shop was actually next to a young man's shop named Domingo Ghirardelli. Eventually, in the early 1840s, he saw an opportunity coming around the bend. The United States was pushing west, and tensions were brewing between the Mexicans and the Americans. Lick predicted that there would be a war, and California would be annexed into the Union. So he planned on going to this new land called California. That took him a couple years, too, because all his workers quit and went to Mexico to fight. So he had a bunch of piano orders to fill first. But then he finished, sold all his stock, and got himself a big old iron safe, which held his $30,000 worth of gold, which today would be about a million dollars, and set sail for San Francisco, which was a little old town back then. Oh, almost forgot. He also brought with him 600 pounds of his friend Ghirardelli's chocolate. He sold the chocolate out really fast. Everyone loved it. He sent a letter back to Ghirardelli telling him to come to California, and you can learn all about that in my episode about Ghirardelli, the candy man. Back to James Lick. People in San Francisco thought he was a crazy man. He was buying up all kinds of land in town, and especially the cheap and so-called worthless agricultural land, but his intuition worked, because 17 days after he arrived in California, some guy that you may have heard of called James Marshall, working out in the Coloma area at a mill for a guy named John Sutter, happened upon some shiny stuff. Within two years, that little old town of San Francisco grew 20 times its size, and much of the new houses happened to be on Lix's land. James, like most people, tried mining, but he gave up pretty quick. He put his land in control of an agent and set his sights on a nearby city called San Jose. San Jose is where he focused on agriculture and farming operations, building great wineries, and this gave him the perfect opportunity to finally make true his words way back when to his baby mama's daddy. The fanciest biggest mill in the state with brand new East State machinery and the fancy stuff that you could ever want in a mill, he had. He spent about $200,000, which would be today $7.5 million. And once it was finished, he hired a photographer to take a bunch of pictures and send it over to the mean old man who wouldn't let James marry his daughter. 
keeping his promise of making his mill look like a pigsty. Around the same time, he wrote to his son that he still has never met, and by this point was 37 years old, to come and be the manager of his new mill. His son accepted the offer and came to California to work for his dad. They didn't like each other much. For eight years, John worked for his dad at the mill, and they shared a tiny cabin. James thought that John was kind of lazy and had no ambition in life like he did. Eventually, James decided to build a fancy-schmancy mansion with 24 rooms and a marble fireplace in each, but his son didn't really care for it. James decided about halfway through uh, building the mansion to just stop and cancel the project. He started sleeping on a door on the floor and used the 24 rooms for drying fruit that came from his orchards. A little after that, he moved on to another project, which was called the Lick House, which was a big old hotel with a huge dining room. It was actually considered the nicest hotel this side of the Mississippi, but a 1906 earthquake at San Francisco brought it all down. Finally, probably to the joy of James, his son quit the mill and moved back east to Pennsylvania. After he left, James cut out his son from the will and wrote that he did that because his son was a bad caretaker of his pet. At this point, he decided to add a big flower garden by the mill, and for some rich man fun, and to see if his workers would simply do what they were told, he had a bunch of trees planted upside down so the roots were up and the leaves were buried. Once he saw that they actually did it, he smiled and said, now flip them back over the way they're supposed to be. James wouldn't allow anybody to criticize him. He worked hard to get to where he was in life, and he wasn't going to let anybody badmouth him. He had some ladies visiting the mill one time and the flower garden, and they kept telling him how great and beautiful everything was. But eventually, one lady leaned over and told another girl that she'd seen better gardens over in San Francisco. James overheard that and took them out to a so-called secret garden, uh, which is just a mustard field that was overgrown, dumped them off, and they had to find their way back. Also, one time he ordered a replica greenhouse of some fancy one over in London, he was going to give it to the city of San Jose, but some San Jose uh, newspaper editor published an article that was unflattering. So James decided to not give it to San Jose and not even open the crates that the greenhouse came in. It wasn't even until uh, after he died that they got it opened and it became the Conservatory of Flowers at Golden Gate Park over in San Francisco. He continued to buy up lots of land, and by the time he died, he owned all of Santa Catalina Island down there by L.A. Now, <clears throat> this brings us back to where we started. James Lick ended up having a stroke and was left pretty bad. He started planning his exit. He was the richest man in California at the time, having a bunch of land in San Francisco, San Jose, Lake Bigler, Catalina Island, and a big ranch down in L.A. His first thought was to build a ginormous statue of him and his parents, but was convinced that it would be a target in case of an invasion by enemies of the United States. Then, he planned on clearing out all his land in San Francisco and building a pyramid larger than Giza. But eventually, he was convinced to build the biggest and best telescope and observatory. So that's what he did. He had the Lick Observatory just outside of San Jose on Mount Hamilton, built. Then he gave money to build the Lick Baths in San Francisco, then founded the California School of Mechanic Arts, built Golden Gate Park and the statue of Francis Scott Key. 
He had the Lick Old Ladies Home built, the Pioneer Monument in San Francisco. Today, there's still a bunch of places named after Lick. My grandma went to James Lick High School, but there's also the James Lick Middle School, the Lick Wendelmering High School, the James Lick Highway, Southern Pacific Railroad named one of their control points after him. There used to be a Lick train station, a Lick line. There was an asteroid back in 1951 named Lick, a town nearby, his town, uh, hometown of Stumptown. His hometown of Stumptown in Pennsylvania was named Lickdale. The, there's a Lick Monument in Pennsylvania, and there's even a lizard named after him, the Scalopolis Lickai. Now, do you remember in the beginning when I told you that he was a huge fan of Thomas Paine? Well, he left the mill and the garden to the Thomas Paine Memorial Association. That was a huge deal, but apparently not to them. They came and sold it the next day for a measly 18 grand. That's it for this episode. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Please share and have a great day.